Today is June the 29th, 2022. This coming Monday is Independence Day, July 4th. True liberty requires eternal vigilance. We thank all those in the military and those who have served in the military for their services. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key and my colleague is Joe King. Do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how Facebook, Google, Amazon, and the other big tech companies are using your personal data? Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network, prn.live, that's L-I-V-E, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. How Google's Passwordless FIDO Security Works Google's future has no passwords. The company has something better planned. I started its use recently. Well, how does Google's passwordless FIDO security work? Google has teamed with FIDO, which is an acronym for Fast ID Online Alliance, and will support the latest security standards for logging in to almost any service without using a password. This will work using your Android phone security features like the fingerprint sensor as a way to authenticate who you are to the Chrome browser at first, but should expand to use any phone with any browser across all of Google's own services. Your phone will be your password. To keep your account safe, you absolutely should be using a good, strong password. A good password manager and a two-factor authentication. None of us wants to see our online accounts hacked. But even with those things in place, hacks still happen. Managing your own security just isn't intuitive for everyone, and even people who know all the right things and do them can still get hacked. Google, as well as Apple and Microsoft, is teaming with the FIDO Alliance to make it even harder for someone to get into your accounts without your permission. When you sign into a website or app on your phone, you will simply unlock your phone and your account won't need a password anymore. This will work using two critical elements, special hardware already inside most of the best Android phones, Google calls this the Titan module, and cryptography software that meets all the specifications to make it a FIDO credential. When you set up your phone, a unique identifier will be created and stored in your phone's secure enclave. This identifier will be used with the FIDO standards to create a set of credentials that can be passed along to any device that's in communication with your phone, or any software that's running on that device. However, I must point out that when you go from device to device, you have to go through this procedure every time you change the process of the device. No personal identifiers are supplied, and while every set of credentials is unique, everything is encrypted and so far has been proven secure. A backup of the credentials will be securely stored in the cloud so you can set up another device using them. You won't lose access if you lose your phone. FIDO key support via your phone will make online security more accessible for everyone. 
In plain English, that means that your phone will store a FIDO pass key, and when you want to unlock any online account, you just unlock your phone, and this pass key proves that you are really you. The key is only supplied when asked for, and you'll only need to unlock your phone the first time. After that, the experience is seamless as long as your phone is nearby. Who wants one company to control access to accounts at another company? However, most experts agree that this is not only a more secure system, but its ease of use means it's also more accessible. Questions I have raised is what happens if you don't have a smartphone? I must admit that this has greatly simplified the maintenance of countless passwords that I've had to go through. The Zoom app for Chromebooks is shutting down in August. Chromebooks and Zoom saw explosive growth in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Zoom is shutting down its previous Chromebook app to make way for the new, improved Zoom app for Chromebooks. A notice is currently appearing in the Zoom app for Chromebooks, which notifies users that the old Zoom app is being shut down in August 2022. Zoom is asking users to use a new Zoom for Chrome PWA to join meetings on Chrome OS. The old Zoom app has been available for several years and provides simple access to Zoom meetings, but without any additional functionality. It's severely limited when it comes to most features and hasn't seen a notable update in quite some time. Why is a Zoom app shutting down? The older app is a traditional Chrome app which hasn't been particularly relevant for a few years now. Most notably, Google announced in August of 2020 that it would phase out Chrome app on all platforms for Windows, Mac, and Linux. Support ended in June 2021. As for June 2022, Google is pulling the plug on Chrome apps on Chrome OS, with new apps no longer being accepted and all existing apps becoming private and unlisted in the Chrome Web Store. With that in mind, it makes sense that Zoom would end official support for its app. But as further motivation, Zoom released a progressive web app for Chromebooks back in 2021, which has seen several major updates over the past year. It's called Zoom PWA. The Zoom for Chrome PWA is a better equipped version of what the original app was, and one that acts more like what Zoom offers on Windows and Mac OS. The Morpho feature app has a familiar UI alongside more advanced features, including background blur. When the PWA launched, it didn't support some features on low-end Chromebooks. Gallery views in particular was an unfortunate loss on anything without at least a quad-core processor. Thankfully, Zoom has made improvements over time to the point where PWA is now an excellent experience. If you're still using the traditional Zoom app for Chromebooks, it doesn't sound like it will stop working immediately, but its time is certainly limited. Eventually, we expect the app will just cease to work. What's the difference between the native Android app and the Android PWA app? Well, what does PWA stand for? It stands for Progressive Web Apps. They are still applications on websites, but they include better caching, notification features, and background functionality to make them appear 
and function more like traditional apps. Progressive web apps are just a combination of traditional browser and mobile app experience. In comparison to native apps, PWAs don't have all the features. For example, PWAs do not have access to features like Bluetooth, contacts, browsers, bookmarks, calendars, and more. They're all part of the browser. They're all contained in the Chrome operating system. Also, they consume more battery than usual mobile apps as they fetch all the data in real time from the server. The long-term goal is to transition all native apps to PWA apps in the Google Play Store, enabling applications that can be used by both Android mobile platforms as well as Chromebooks. Microsoft has dominated personal computing for years, but as businesses increasingly look to modernize their fleet of devices, there's an opportunity for competitors to challenge the Microsoft Windows operating system. The importance of freedom of the press. Despite many claims that newspapers is on its way out, many publications are still a major news source for Americans today. In fact, in the United States, there are more than 1,300 daily newspapers currently in circulation. Of those 1,300, the top 10 newspaper publications in the United States based on circulation are USA Today, which leads the list, followed by the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Los Angeles Times, New York Post, Chicago Tribune, the Washington Post, Newsday, New York Daily News, and AM New York. AM New York is a morning-free daily newspaper that is published in New York City by Newsday. On June the 17th, USA Today said it had deleted 23 articles from its website after an investigation found that the reporter who wrote them used fabricated sources. The journalist who is said to have used the fabricated sources was identified as Gabriella Miranda, a breaking news reporter who resigned from the Virginia-based newspaper weeks ago. Miranda's most recent news story for U.S. Today is dated April 17th. According to the bio on her website, Miranda was assigned to cover trending news nationwide while at USA Today. Before being hired by USA Today, she covered education and the Hispanic community with the Gainesville Times in Georgia. The Post has reached out to USA Today's parent company, Gannett, as well as Miranda seeking comment. Miranda has deleted her LinkedIn account. After receiving an external correction request, USA Today audited the reporting work of Gabriella Miranda. USA Today deleted 23 news stories from its website after an investigation reportedly found that Gabriella Miranda used fabricated sources. The audit revealed that some individuals quoted were not affiliated with the organization claim and appeared to be fabricated. The existence of other individuals quoted could not be independently verified. In addition, some stories included quotes that should have been credited to others. Miranda resigned from her position as a reporter for USA Today. USA Today will reportedly tell its readers that it will review its processes to prevent a similar incident from occurring in the future. 
The paper pledged that it will improve their process for those who want to lodge complaints or request corrections. It will also ensure stories have clear and sufficient identifying information for individuals quoted. USA Today also vowed to ensure that institutions are contacted to provide a response or statement if they are referenced in the story and to make sure reporters take appropriate steps at all times to verify source information. USA Today pledged to reinforce and strengthen its reporting and editing diligence after removing the fabricated stories. Freedom of the press is an essential right in the United States and a core principle of democracy, protected by the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. A free press helps maintain the balance of power in government. The Reporting on the Supreme Court Decision on Roe v. Wade As reported, USA Today said it had deleted 23 articles from its website after an investigation found that the reporter who wrote them used fabricated sources. The fabrication of news is a serious matter. The First Amendment guarantees a free press. The press, however, has an obligation to maintain integrity in their reporting. We are under a constant bombardment of news flashes and news alerts on important issues of the day. In the recent announcement of the case of Roe v. Wade, we have been on the receiving end of commentaries and opinions from political, entertainment, and sports celebrities on the facts on the issue, or at least from their perspective what the facts are. What they cite as facts may or may not be true. Because of their profession, they do not necessarily have any more expertise than you on any given topic that is foreign to their profession. How does one determine the truthfulness of any of the mainstream news? Use your common sense. Listen and read all available points of views. On the abortion issue, do a search on the following words. Abortion, Surveillance, United States, 2019. It's a publication that's available. It is a 32-page PDF document titled Demographics of Abortion in America. It's a CDC report. I don't always trust the CDC. The problem is when administrators cherry-pick the report to fit a narrative. However, those doing the study, though, were very thorough. The report is a presentation of statistics. You can download the data and restructure its format to view it from your perspective. The one unescapable fact that got my attention was there were 629,825 reported abortion services in 2019. Amazon Developing Alexa to be Conversational Amazon showcased the Developing Alexa feature meant to mimic the flow of natural language. Conversation between two humans really follows some predefined structure. It goes to strange and unexpected places. One topic may segue into another as participants inject their lived experience. In a demo, a conversation about trees turned to one about hiking and parks. In the context of the company's AI, Senior Vice President and Head Scientist for Alexa, Rohit Prasad, refers to the phenomenon as conversation exploration. 
It's not a proper name for a proper feature exactly. There isn't a switch that gets flipped to suddenly enable conversations overnight. Rather, it's part of an evolving notion on how Alexa can interact with users in a more human and perhaps more humane manner. Smart assistants like Alexa have traditionally provided a much more simplistic question and response model. Ask Alexa the weather, and Alexa tells you the weather, in a predetermined area. Ask her the New York Mets baseball score, and Alexa tells you the baseball score. It's a straightforward interaction, not dissimilar to typing a question into a search engine. But again, real-world conversations really play out this way. There's a whole range of questions Alexa gets which are very much information-bearing. When those questions happen, you can imagine they're not point questions. Prasad said at the event, they're really about something the customer wants to learn more about. What's on top of our minds right now is what's happening with inflation. We get a ton of requests to Alexa like that, and it gives you that kind of exploration experience. Such conversational features, however, are the manner of things a home assistant like Alexa ramps up to. Eight years after being launched by Amazon, the assistant is still learning, collecting data and determining the best ways to interact with consumers. Even when something gets to the point where Amazon is ready to show it off on a keynote stage, tweaks are still required. Alexa needs to be an expert on many topics, explained Prasad. That's the big paradigm change. And that kind of expertise takes a while to attain. This will be a journey, and with our customers' interactions, it won't be like from day one Alexa will know everything. But these questions can evolve into more explorations where you end up doing something you didn't think you were. Seeing the word empathy in big bold letters on the stage behind Prasad was a head-turner, though not perhaps as much as what came next. There are some straightforward scenarios where the concept of empathy could or should factor in during the conversation with humans and smart assistants alike. Take, for example, the ability to read social cues. It's a skill we pick up through experience, the ability to read the sometimes subtle language of faces and bodies. Emotional intelligence for Alexa is a notion Prasad has been discussing for years. That starts with changing the assistant's tone to respond in a manner conveying happiness or disappointment. The flip side is determining the emotion of a concept the company has been working to perfect for several years. It's a work that's manifested itself in various ways, including the 2020 debut of the company's controversial wearable halo, which offers a feature called Tone that purported to analyze energy and positivity in a customer's voice so they can understand and how they sound to others and improve their communications and relationships. Prasad continued by saying, I think both empathy and affect are well-known ways of interacting in terms of building relationships. Prasad said, Alexa can't be tone deaf to your emotional state. If you walk in and you're not in a happy mood, it's hard to say what you should do. Someone who knows you well will react in a different way. It's a very high bar for the AI, but it's something you can't ignore. The executive notes that Alexa has already become a kind of a companion for some users, particularly among the older demographic. 
a more conversational approach would likely only enhance that phenomenon. In demos of Astro this week, the company frequently referred to the home robot as filling an almost pet-like function in the home. Such notions have their limitations, however. It shouldn't hide the fact that it's an AI. Prasad added, when it comes to the point where it's indistinguishable, which we're very far from, it should be very transparent. Ask what Alexa might look like 10 to 15 years in the future. Prasad explained that it's all about choice, though less about imbuing Alexa with individual and unique personalities than offering a flexible computing platform for users. It should be able to accomplish anything you want, he said. It's not just through voice. It's intelligence in the right moment, which is where ambient intelligence comes in. It should proactively help you in some cases and anticipate your need. This is where we take the conversational exploration further out. Anything you look for, imagine how much time you spend on booking a vacation when you don't have a travel agent. Imagine how much time you spend buying that camera or TV you want. Anything that requires you to spend time searching should become much faster. Amazon is developing Alexa to mimic anyone's voice. Amazon is developing a system to let Alexa mimic any voice after hearing less than a minute of audio, said Rohit Prasad, an Amazon senior vice president at a conference the company held in Las Vegas. The goal is to make the memories last after so many of us have lost someone we love during the pandemic. Amazon declined to share when it would roll out such a feature. The technology has attracted close scrutiny for potential benefits as well as abuses. For instance, Microsoft recently restricted which businesses could use its software to parrot voices. The goal is to help people with speech impairments or other problems, but some worry also that it could be used to propagate political deep fakes. Amazon hopes the project will help Alexa become ubiquitous in shoppers' lives. At Google, an engineer made the highly contested claim that Google chatbot had advanced to sentience. I had to look that up. I didn't know what that word meant. Sentience is the capacity to experience feelings and sensations. Prasad said Amazon's aim for Alexa is generalizable intelligence, or the ability to adapt to user environments and learn new concepts with little external input. He said that goal is not to be confused with the all-knowing, all-capable artificial general intelligence, or AGI, which Alphabet's DeepMind unit and Elon Musk co-founded OpenAI are seeking. Amazon shared its vision for companionship with Alexa at the conference in a video segment. It portrayed a child who asked Alexa, Can Grandma finish reading me The Wizard of Oz? A moment later, Alexa affirmed the command and changed her voice. She spoke soothingly, less robotically, ostensibly sounding like the individual's grandmother in real life. Are hidden spy cameras in vacation rentals, Airbnb, hotels, and cruise ships legal? During the summer months of July and August, many Americans will be traveling. It's getaway time for many. 
They will be staying at a vacation rental home or an Airbnb, hotel or motel, or even on a cruise ship. Nearly 60% of Americans said they were worried about hidden cameras in Airbnb homes. 11% of vacation home renters said they had discovered a hidden camera during a stay. That's according to a survey. Many Americans have considered whether hotels are spying on their guests in the digital age. The answer is generally no, since that would violate laws in more than a dozen states. But the issue is complicated on a federal level, and security experts also say rogue hotel employees could easily hide small cameras inside devices like clocks and lamps. In the United States, there is no hotel or management company of hotels that would ever subject themselves to the massive liabilities of putting surveillance cameras in an actual hotel room. Are hidden cameras on cruise ships legal? Well, that depends on the jurisdiction. For most of the major cruise lines like Carnival, Royal Caribbean, Celebrity, and Norwegian, the jurisdiction is in the federal court in Miami, United States District Court for the Southern District of Florida. For the Princess, it is in California. And for Holland America, it is in Washington State. The number of hidden spy camera reports has proliferated because of the increasing accessibility and inexpensiveness of such cameras, combined with the public's growing ability to detect them. There are simple methods to locate hidden spy cameras in hotel rooms and rental properties. Airbnb hosts are allowed to have cameras in their houses, but they must inform guests and the cameras must not be placed in private spaces. When it comes to any hidden camera law, you are going to see the concept of reasonable expectation of privacy come up time and again. So if you're placing a hidden camera in your home or anywhere else, the people you're recording are generally to be given this level of privacy. Hidden cameras are typically not legal to place in bathrooms or bedrooms where someone is staying or any other place where people would assume that they would have a heightened level of privacy. If cameras are used in these types of areas, such as when security cameras are placed in the dressing rooms, the surveyors have an obligation to post notices alerting those being recorded to this fact. Most spy cameras are connected to an electrical source or an electronic device. Look at the Wi-Fi network. A hidden camera must be connected to a local Wi-Fi network in order to be viewed remotely. Hidden cameras must be connected to a local Wi-Fi network to be viewed remotely. Wi-Fi scanning apps are readily available for both the iPhone and Android devices, which can identify devices on the network that are cameras. Those who hide cameras might use a separate Wi-Fi network, though, to stream live video footage. But Wi-Fi scanning apps can also detect how many networks are in a residence. Look for devices that are broadcasting their own network name. Use apps to find devices that are broadcasting some sort of Bluetooth and Wi-Fi network name. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. Shifting due to world financial situation. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we spend just a moment talking about the business world and the IT world and how some of these different things interact. 
Now, the tech industry is leading this big, huge downturn with a, a, a number of layoffs. And they are not the only industry, but I'm going to talk to you here um, both this week, next week, and the following week in regards to how you might address some of the different things that are going on. And, uh, And some of this may impact you directly. Some of this may impact you in the future. Some of it may not impact you at all. But it gives you kind of an insight into what is going on. The modern employer, this started just a matter of a, a few years ago. Uh, someone went out and they laid off people via uh, via email. Others have come along and they've laid off people via Zoom calls or the equivalent thereof. And look, this is not appropriate. This is This is really downright scary, but... At the same time, uh, there are certain situations where we have to deal with this, and you have to you have to really address this in in a personable way. Unfortunately, the employer doesn't always approach it from the standpoint of supporting the former employee. They don't always approach it from the idea of taking care of your health. They're thinking about the company's help. They're thinking about the company's bottom line. They're thinking about, well, I don't know, just making more money, whatever it is that you want to think about it. But here's here's one of the things that I want to really stress here. No matter how they do it, no matter how you get wind of this, and no matter how you are laid off, you need to dial back how your response is. Why do I say that? Because all of a sudden, we have a number of people who are getting just outraged by the fact that they were laid off. And they're getting you know upset because of how they were laid off. Don't do that. Do not even expend any negative energies in that direction. I know you want to. And you can go to your friends in person. You can talk to your significant others, your, you know, the people who are close to you. But don't post anything on social media. Don't don't make a big to do about it. We have arrived in a changed world. COVID changed a lot. COVID has dramatically impacted us in a number of different ways and Along the way, we've had to kind of adjust. We've had to figure out where we're going. So, yes, sometimes people are going to make some missteps. They're going to make some stupid decisions. Don't express your negative feelings on social media. Just so you know, I do have a job still. I'm fully employed and I don't expect any kind of bad problems coming at me. So this isn't me going out and choosing this. No, I I mean, this is this is I'm perfectly fine. But I want you to recognize that. I, I mean, let's look at my past. I have been laid off in very gracious ways and not so great ways over the course of my career. I remember. I I was pulled into an office. Uh, this is this is 
whatever it is, about five years ago, and I was pulled into this office, and uh, I knew that the company at some point would be doing downsizing. I had no idea it was going to be that particular morning, and it, I, I was, it was in a conference room, and I, I made uh, just a, a crazy comment about how, uh, hey, you know, if, if we're going to have a meeting, you know, don't leave Kleenex out on the desk. It makes people think you're going to let them go, and that totally disarmed <laughs> The guy was going to lay me off, and it, 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 he he had no idea what to do with it. And I said, "Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I I had no idea. It's okay. It, it, it's all good. Look, I uh, you know I'm I'm you know I'm fine. I'll deal with it. Uh, this isn't. I I wound up comforting him more than he comforted me. No offense to him. He was it was great. I just it was it was fine. I want you to if you are laid off though." Don't go in the negative direction. I want you to go in a positive direction. I want you to review what came to you through that job. I want you to review the learning experience that you had over the course of the time, how much is in your retirement plan, your pension plan, whatever it is that you've got going on. Look at the positive aspects, all of the different things that came from there. Some of those things are going to wind up in your resume. Some of those things are going to be great for you. You made new connections. I want you to make sure that you're moving forward on a positive basis and you reach out to them on LinkedIn or Facebook or wherever. And you say, hey, it was great working with you. It it, it actually really helps if you hit up every single person you can think of and give them a quick thing of, hey, I, I, you know, I, I was laid off today. Uh, I hope you're doing okay. Uh, I, I, I know I'm going to be doing okay. I'm going to be in the job market. So if you hear anything and you leverage that social media towards getting your next position, towards getting that leg up towards wherever you're going to wind up next, having been laid off, having been at companies that went out of business or dramatically downsized or whatever else that happened, I will tell you that every time I've I've walked away with positive things. There's always been something good to take from a former employer, and that's just in a personal sense of making me a better person. So look for the upside always. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. Cheap Microsoft product keys are sold separately. Are they legit? You see offerings of cheap Microsoft product keys and you ask yourself whether they're for real. You may ask, are the product keys real and will it work? They're real keys and will probably activate on your system. As you ponder how a Windows 10 to Windows 11 license might cost only $10 or $20, you do a search on the internet because you're concerned about buying a cheap key and whether it can have serious consequences. If Microsoft discovers that a key is stolen or being improperly used, Windows can be deactivated by the company's validation servers. Are they legitimate? Well, the answer is yes and no. The source for the product key, in many cases, came from a Windows OEM manufacturer. Another speculated source is abandoned Windows 10 systems. But a Windows 10 OEM key is tied to the original PC and only that machine. You can't transfer it to a replacement system. However, retail versions of Windows 10s may be transferable. Not all cheap OEM 
come from dubious websites. Components such as motherboards sometimes include a Windows 10 key. Why would OEMs risk their contract and partnership with Microsoft just to sell a few keys for almost nothing? Undoubtedly, the revenue from selling new PCs far outweigh the few dollars they would earn and the risk of losing the license from Microsoft. Buying a cheap key can have serious consequences. If Microsoft discovers that a key is stolen or being improperly used, Windows can be deactivated by the company's validation servers. In that case, your system will report that it might not be running genuine Windows software. According to the Microsoft support page about genuine Windows, you'll experience the following message that you might get on the screen. Until you correct the issue, you'll receive periodic reminders that Windows is not genuine. Your desktop may also turn black to emphasize the messages. You can reset it, but it will return to black every six minutes until the issue is resolved. Getting back to the original question that I raised, are cheap Microsoft product keys sold separately legit? The short answer is, it depends where you live. Let's step back in time to 2012. An appeals court in the United States ruled that when dealing with software, as long as the provider calls what it sells a license rather than a sale, it can take away your first sale rights. As you hopefully know, first sale rights are what let you resell goods that have copyright-covered material in them, such as books, without asking for permission from the copyright holder. However, for reasons that still don't make any sense, the Ninth Circuit Court seems to think that as long as something is purely digital, first sale no longer applies. The Supreme Court refused to hear the appeal, so while technically the ruling still only applies to the Ninth Circuit, it's what most consider to be the state of the law in the United States. Of course, there's always the possibility a different circuit court could disagree and it could go back to the Supreme Court. And one could argue that some other rulings in the Ninth Circuit already in conflict, but for now, it is widely considered the law in the United States. However, in Europe, the European Court seems to recognize just how ridiculous the Ninth Circuit view on first sale and software really is. In a new ruling, it has upheld the right of first sale on software, basically saying that you are buying a license and that license is resellable. The European court says, yes, you can resell your software even if the software company says you can't. The court found that the right of first sale applied. In the court's language, it talks about copyright exhaustion, which is the idea that once you've sold something, you've exhausted your right to control it. The sellers of cheap Microsoft Windows product software are careful to note the following, and read it carefully. All these keys are permanent, legal versions. The low price of these keys is due to the fact that they are usually sold with a PC. This resale practice has been legalized by the European Court of Justice. So the question that I raised was, is the product key sale legit? Well, when you're on the internet, your IP address is visible to Microsoft servers. So it matters not where you purchase the Microsoft software product keys, but where you are located using the software. Why we celebrate Independence Day. On July 4th, we celebrate Independence Day. In U.S. history, 
The document known as the Declaration of Independence was approved by the Continental Congress on July 4, 1776, and that announced the separation of 13 North American British colonies from Great Britain. It explains why the Congress on July 2nd unanimously, by the vote of 12 colonies with New York abstaining, had resolved that these united colonies are, and of right, ought to be free and independent states. Accordingly, the day on which final separation was officially voted was July 2nd, although the 4th, the day on which the Declaration of Independence was adopted, has always been celebrated in the United States as the great national holiday, the 4th of July or Independence Day. The ratification of the Constitution was on July the 26th, 1788. In September 1789, the first Congress of the United States approved 12 amendments to the United States Constitution and sent them to the states for ratification. The amendments were designed to protect the basic rights of U.S. citizens, guaranteeing the freedom of speech, press, assembly, and exercise of religion, the right to a fair legal procedure, and to bear arms, and that power is not delegated to the federal government would be reserved for the states and the people. The First Amendment guarantees freedoms concerning religion, expression, assembly, and the right to petition. It forbids Congress from both promoting one religion over others and also restricting an individual's religious practices. It guarantees freedom of expression by prohibiting Congress from restricting the press or the rights of individuals to speak freely. It also guarantees the right of citizens to assemble peaceably and to petition their government. Freedom of the press, the right to report news or circulate opinion without censorship from the government was considered one of the great bulwarks of liberty by the founding fathers of the United States. Americans enjoy freedom of the press and one of the rights guaranteed by the First Amendment. New technologies, however, have created new challenges to media freedom. Freedom of the press should be ensured for the betterment of everyone, but the press should maintain decency and decorum. It should not be unbridled. It should refrain itself from baseless, false, blasphemous news and ill propaganda. Presenting Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston with technical chatter, Independence Day. Marty Winston joins us now, and here on Independence Day, uh, you know, Marty, I, I'm uh, what what comes to mind for you with with Independence Day on the beginning, really yeah. the be- the beginning, the the yeah. time back in the 18th century, the the 1700s, yeah, when most of the population of the colonies, yeah was undecided about which way things should go. They really had opinions, but they were incompletely formed. Are we loyal to England? Is King George our ruler? Are we loyal to our own interests here? Do we have to put up with all that tax? Is yeah, that yeah. really what we should be doing? Boy, they'd be they'd be like mad at us now for how much tax. But yeah, go on. <laughs> oh, well, one of them said, "I think it would be a healthy thing for this country if every twenty years or so we had another revolution." Yes, yes. And you had some 
wonderful people. I back think that then. was Ben Franklin that said that, didn't it? it, it was it him? No, no, it was uh, I can't. Tom remember. Jefferson, I think. And maybe it was Jefferson. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know, everybody always compared me to Ben Franklin, so I I, I don't know how that <laughs> works. <laughs> Were you sticking your fingers in the light sockets or something? Oh, electricity! Um, All right. <laughs> they would tell me right. to go fly a kite, but that's not the same. <laughs> yeah, but no, really, no, no. at at the root of it, at the root of it. Yeah, yeah. What was it? You know, we never had a hundred percent agreement. Never did. No, no. Haven't had it since. Mm-hmm. But but you know, you don't need a hundred percent agreement. What you need is voices mm-hmm. that carry the arguments on both sides. Mm-hmm. An informed public, an ability to share news. And they did have newspapers. They didn't have broadcasts. They didn't have the web. They did have newspapers. They had pamphleteers. Common Sense was a very, very extraordinarily popular pamphlet sure. by Thomas Paine. Yeah. The, the technology of the day was it was the printing press. It was the, the, the yes. high tech. And, yeah. And the churches where oh. you could go on a Sunday yeah. to hear not only a sermon, but a philosophy. Okay. All right. Yeah. And after church, the town meetings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there, there were parallels today. Today's broadcasting, today's news media. Mm-hmm. However, like anything else in history, it took a context, a circumstance, and mm-hmm, a mm-hmm. trigger. Mm-hmm. And the trigger wasn't so much the British in Boston, although, you know, that that, that was glorious and all of that. Yeah. yeah. The trigger was the taxes, the attack on things that people depended on, like tea. The trigger was the idea that they could take over your homes for their own purposes. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. The, the trigger was really a lack of common respect for the individual's right to what was what yeah. Would be yeah. His. Whether you yeah. go, whether you go for free speech or self-defense or uh, a trial by jury, uh, you know, the whole witnesses thing, not being called, a, you know, to uh, to what? What do I want to say? The Fifth Amendment. <laughs> say something against yourself. Hey, I, I, I'm going to plead yeah. the fifth on why I couldn't figure that one out there just now. But I'll uh, yeah, fifth later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a different kind of fifth. Oh, all right. Uh, <laughs> Beethoven's. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, but, but but really, I have a lot of respect. Consider the framers of the Declaration of Independence, the framers of the Constitution, yeah. the architects of what became the most perfectly balanced government system in history. Yeah, yeah. Not that time doesn't corrupt everything a little bit, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but. We had the best bones ever mm-hmm. for forming an independent country, an independent society. And yeah, we've strayed and come back and come back and strayed and all of that. But this Independence Day, you might take it as something to celebrate today. You might take independence as a reality or a myth. But the one thing that my laser always shoots for is that root moment in history. When independence was a choice, a deliberate and difficult choice, and we made it. You sound like a history teacher. This is this is I like that though. No, I, I love that. 
And, you know, I, I mean, I think people out there, they're, they're sitting there, they're driving, you know, off to go see fireworks or, or whatever it is, uh, you know, and they focus on, you know, the apple pie and they, they focus on, you know, waving the flag, but they don't think about all of the different things. You know, they might think about that guy, uh, Paul, somebody or another who, you know, rode through town on the horse and uh, a, brilliant a bunch of people are coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, yeah they, and they don't they don't think through all of the different uh, the different efforts that put us towards freedom or, or even to that extent. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, like our, our modern military. Alexis de Tocqueville, I, I, Democracy in America. Uh, Morrison Cominger, a history of the Americans, uh, American people, uh, the Burke Payne controversy. These books are still available. Library, no library. You can read from the time about the time. And there's a lot to be gleaned. Yeah, definitely. Well, look, whatever it took to get here, whatever the fireworks, whoever ended up inventing the hot dog. <laughs> Where, <laughs> wherever all of that came from yes we're here now yeah and we may not have all the freedoms each of us wishes but we are still in one of the most free most liberated countries ever yes. we still have freedom of speech we still have freedom of thought freedom of belief we still have the freedoms that were hard fought and have been fought for since so independence well, it's not exactly a birthright. It's a right we're not going to surrender easily. To fellow veterans, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is Benjamin Rockwell, and that's Air Force veteran Marty Winston. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you, Marty. The 46th Annual Trenton Computer Festival was held Saturday, March the 19th of this year. There were over 50 talks on 10 concurrent tracks. All the sessions were recorded and they are available and free for download at the following website, tcf-nj.org. And the main page of that website will direct you to the portal site. Public Service Announcements of Computer Club Meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut Tri-State Region. Log on to the club website for more information on Remote Meeting ID. The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey meets Friday, July 1st. Meeting time is 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi. Their website is acgnj.org. The Westchester PC Users Group meets Thursday, July the 7th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom, and their website is wpcug.org. The Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, July 8th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom, and their website is limac.org. The King's Byte Computer Club meets Tuesday, July 12th. Meeting time is 7 p.m. And they meet at the Park Plaza Restaurant, 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. For more information, the phone number to call is 
278-7320. The New York Amateur Computer Club meets Thursday, July the 14th at 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom, and the website is nyacc.org. Happy computing! Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on prn.live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email addressed to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime, stay in touch and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Joe King, Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening. Stay safe and healthy until we meet again, same time, same station, next week.